Welcome home. I'm Dr. Tama, a minister, licensed psychologist, and sacred artist. And this is Homecoming, a podcast to facilitate your journey home to yourself. While I will provide weekly inspiration and mental health tips, this podcast is not the same as personalized therapy. I'm so excited you're on the journey. If you want to request specific topics or to submit a poem for me to read on the podcast, email me at homecomingpodcasts at gmail.com. Also, to build our community, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's begin. Welcome home, co-journers. I am so glad you're here, and I am delighted to have this special season with our very own, who is a return guest, Dr. Jaya John. I want to name that Dr. Jaya is a pastor of sorts, a gatherer of souls, an author, a freedom worker, and his most recent text, All These Rivers, and you choose, chose, (laughs) you chose love. All These Rivers, and you chose love. What a gift. And I want to also introduce Dr. Jaya in his own words. And he writes, all my life, I have dwelled far more in the spirit world than the physical one. What I feel all souls experience, though many do not embrace. I seek to translate spirit into language in which de-spirited souls are fluent so they may re-spirit themselves, so that they may remember not only their essence, but also the essence of this life. Welcome, Dr. Jaya. Amen. <laughs> Minister, doctor, medicine, woman, Tama, dancer, Tama, sacred dancer. Thank you for that the honoring embrace and welcome thank you for the invitation you know i'm always cherishing uh, these moments when we gather oh thank you so much well i wanted us to introduce this time and to introduce this incredible book and i have to tell you daughter drink this water has been my all-time favorite and i thought it would never have a tie (laughs) but you chose love Oh, my goodness. This is uh, so edifying, so rich and mind shifting. So this is really for those who are ready to enter another dimension in their wholeness, in their wellness, in living the abundant life. And I want to uh, start the introduction of the book by asking if you would turn to page 233. And I would love if we could do some uh, alternative reading. If you can read a sentence and I will follow and we'll go through it. Is that okay? Uh, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you. So, so 33. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I was just considering recording this one for the podcast look at the same stream once again <laughs> same same stream. Stream. <laughs> so so we're going to alternate sentences yes okay me first or you yes please you start okay will you please sit for a while i want to paint your soul want to show you all your features, and for your whole life, you have not clearly seen. You will not believe your colors. You will literally not believe them. The way they curl and curve and dance. Or the way your spirits spark in the sunlight kindness. And what happens to your ancestral aura when you do what is just? 
Let me show you your endless depth. Your astounding height. Songs you sing silently. You will behold your true yearnings so you may at last release your confusion about what you yearn for. And finally, you will see your innate love of nature to realize how you have called so many things love are not love at all. Will you please be still for a moment? I want to paint your soul. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. And you talk about, let me get the right page, on page 77, you talk about ease. And so when we think about stillness, you say, Ease is not out there, a thing for you to find. Ease lives inside your very nature. So whether we think about sitting still or ease, I know that's been a personal journey for your, of yours. And so can you tell us what changed, what you learned or gained when you slowed down? Oh, I love you for asking this question, Ama. And so what changed, you asked for me, when I slowed down? One, it was that I experienced everything that your work is about, which is homecoming. So by slowing down, I experienced, whoa, mm. what is this sensation? It's me coming home to myself. It's me coming home to this creation, this life, this breath, this moment. This reality, this truth, I am, I am coming home. It's like being immersed in the perfect temperature, jacuzzi water, right? It's just like, oh, man, mm. I'm slowing down and I'm feeling and witnessing benefits of the slow roll, which was also heightening my discernment, which was leading me into a valley of ease. Because I, I began to see the relationship between flowing down and ease. Now, we're not saying at all that there are not occasions and circumstances in which it is unnecessary for us to speed up. Speeding up is obviously a part of the, the holistic uh, dance that we that we exist in. What I'm saying is that so many of our cultural spaces around the world have us caught in chronic acceleration, chronic rushing. It is a chronic condition that begins to overburden us and harm us and harm those in our lives and harm the, the world itself. So I experienced a slowing down that in tandem brought on an increase in ease. Ease for me is... It's a beautiful thing, and it includes um, characteristics like uh, not getting in my own way, not building my own barriers. Ease shows up as a more clarified discernment about what I expose myself to and what I do not, what relationships to release and what to uh, to tend and garden, you know, Ease is um, learning to ride those waves of life, learning to ride the waves of circumstance, but also the waves of providence. And because there's always these purposeful waves that we are meant to ride and learn to just go with them and trust and have faith that they, these waves know more than we do. It's a greater wisdom operating. So I just, I just, you know, ease was something that I've always cherished as a child, as a you know adolescent, and it's about my life, and it just continues to deepen as I go. We can simplify our lives. We can release layers that um, don't actually serve us or others, and, and the ease that comes, I think, also becomes medicine for the world because the world is not at ease. This world is inflicted, it is tense and tight, it is in turmoil, right? in a sense, mists all around us. 
wherever the, the cultural sort of norms that everyone seems to bend to and surrender to are not ease, they are dis-ease. And so, yeah, it's a personal and a, a collective passion of mine to garden this ease. Mm. Yeah. So beautiful. And for us each to embrace this turtle time, when you talk about coming home to ourselves, we even try to hurry our healing, <laughs> which is like this really, you know, remarkable piece where we apply that frantic nature even to our journey to wholeness. And so the need to have self-compassion that will allow for the slowing down. And it is a gift that helps us when we hear the, the testimonies of others as opposed to, you know, that fear of missing out, the realizing that the rushing and the frantic pace is what really causes us to miss out. Oh, yeah. So when I think about you and your journey, I think it is really captured. Page 25, you know, I'm a page turner. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So page 25, you write, do you know the million miracles you are in every moment? The unlikely confluence of conditions? You should be impossible, really. And yet here you are. And this is, uh, for me, the definition of you, of living, walking miracle, really, like, really amazing. And so can you... Talk about how miraculous it was, it is, that given uh, your various life circumstances that you chose love. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that fertile, glorious question. <laughs> uh, how miraculous has it been that I chose love? So this question allows us to open this door into the idea of choice and self-determination. When I was a child, I thought as a child, you know, reasoned as a child, spoke as a child, I did not know what it meant to be a man. But when I became a man, I, I, I acted away childish things. This, is, this was my journey. I, as a child, I did not understand the harm I was doing to myself through choices of self-pity. Self-pity. Self-pity is a bottomless pit. And it's easy to fall into in childhood. I said, why me? Why has this happened to me? Why is this going on? Why do I have to deal with this? Why can't I have what they have? What, you know, you covet and you... And you pity and you covet and you pity and you covet and you pity and you all the while you're falling into the sunken place, right? The sunken place. Yeah. Um, I feel that when we do slow down, one of the things that we then are able to feast upon is the presence, the ever-abiding presence of miracle. Mm. Not only in our life, but as our life. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I slowed down um, in a season of great you know, pain and yearning. And I just was with that pain and yearning. And, you know, when you sit with something, you notice more things about it, right? If you race by someone on the street, you catch a few things through your visual capacity your brain processes a little bit and you you have you know a few thoughts about this this person you raced by on the street but when you sit with another soul you begin to recognize and notice texture and terrain and you notice subtlety and you notice things about how they are feeling and their mood and their nature and their persona and it's you know their micro expressions their body language and so you become more familiar i sat with my pain mm. and sorrow and self-pity and i asked myself why am i existing this way why 
what is it doing for me? Um, I began to question my deep lifelong habits of experiencing my circumstance in unforgiving ways without mercy or compassion be very hard on you know my judgment about my circumstances whether it was how i just had an interaction with somebody and how that went i would beat myself up performance in class you know performance on the basketball court you know how different relationships were unfolding um family dynamics social the social experiences it's just very hard on myself and on my interpretation of the meaning of what I was experiencing. So I ultimately decided I did not want to exist in such a condition of pain and suffering and self-pity and sorrow. I no longer wanted to sing mournful songs. I wanted more of the more access to my whole nature, uh, joy and levity and and love and um, affection and lightheartedness and mercy and grace. And so I began to practice simply paying attention to grace in my life. I began to garden gratitude. Mm. And by gardening gratitude, I gained a capacity for recognizing miracle. And I began to recognize, wow, this entire life of mine from the very inception of my soul into this form, into this world, was a miracle. It was an arrangement that required divine grace for everything to go right, for me to be conceived and gestate in my mother's womb and to be born, and then to be orphan-born and cast adrift, and yet have loving hearts and caring hands sweep me up and carry me along. These are miracles. We see people pass away every day because the way in which their, their bodies fail. And yet my body continued to perform miracles. I had breath, I had blood, I had a heartbeat, I had an inner drum, I had soulful, continuous song of health and wellness. I had so many experiences, accesses. I lived in different places. I met incredible angels. Miracle, 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 miracle. I made poor choices that could have ended me, ended uh, this entire journey. And yet, miracle of grace and mercy allowed me to stay in this place on earth. You know, uh, I lost my discernment so many times, went wandering into caves where I could not see, and yet miracles would bring me back out into the light. Miracles of forgiveness, miracles of uh, compassion. One of the greatest miracles of all has been just my um, my continuing gardening of forgiveness of myself and my choice to love. My choice to love is a miracle because I, you know this, you know this. You know this as a child of Africa. You know this as a woman. You know we are rained down on with fate, um, prejudice, version, and malice and spite by those unwell souls in the world that we encounter and who encounter us. And so we always have the opportunity to choose fate in return. An effective device to say, you know, I'm not going to just let myself be treated this way. I'm going to build up my armor. And so we have that choice over and over again on almost a daily basis. I experienced as this, this body, this appearance in this world, I have experienced hate. I have experienced hate every single day to this day. But the choice remained within me. Do I go that way and what will that yield or do I choose love? And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. You know, my nature is very loving. So that's a that's a big part of this. But there's just always been this spirit with its hand on my heart saying, you know, child, you're here to love. You're here to be love. You are here as love. Never forget who you are. And so the miracle is 
Yes, I did not choose malice. I did not choose resentment or a closed heart. I, I chose love and I continue to choose love. And it's often not easy. We're not saying that choosing love is easy. We're saying that choosing love is always worth it. And that choosing love is medicine for the world. Choosing love is our salvation. It is our redemption. It is our revival. Choosing love is how we rise up from just a fiction and condemnation and just carry forth into this world as a light, as a lantern, as a lighthouse, as a lamp, as a language of persistent kindness. And I believe in this deeply. I feel this deeply. I choosing love over and over again always blesses me, always blesses all living things that encounter me. And so I just want to stay really focused on that as I as I go forward in this life. In every moment, I have a choice. No matter how I'm feeling, no matter what I'm going through, all sacred choice, most precious choice that I can ever make, and that choose love. Your poetic sermons <laughs> are just such a blessing. Choosing love is revival. And throughout that theme, I think, you know, what is so empowering for us to know is that we can choose. And what I also appreciate is your transparency in naming the detours and the mistakes and the uh, things you had to forgive yourself from and for, and that that's a part of the process. And I, uh, one of the themes you talk about with um, having chosen love is a word you kept saying, which was grace. Mm. And I want to ask you about on page 16, 16, something I think will help many of us. You say, here is the purpose of all this living, grace, and you. You are a chalice for grace, a drinker of grace, and the wine of grace that blesses both the chalice and the drinker. So I want to ask you the dance between being a very gracious person, which you are, and also having very clear boundaries, which you do. So please help us with that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. That's a beautiful man. I love these. I love these invitations that you are offering today. Thank you so much. The dance between being in a condition of grace, being an atmosphere of grace, and maintaining and exercising boundary that hasn't you know that hasn't been an easy practice you know <laughs> human beings test us the condition of others tests us mm -hmm. our own conditions test us at some point along the way i began to learn that Healthy boundaries are an act of love. And I didn't experience it as love for myself alone or about myself alone. I experienced boundary keeping and holding as an act of love for our collective, for all living things. Boundary, not as sternness, meanness, inconsideration, insensitivity, not boundary as violence, not boundary as anger or rage, though there are times when that flames up in us and can even be purposeful, not in a chronic way, but um, in, a, in a temporal, momentary way. And so I began to experience boundary as just an act of 
caring for myself and and caring for my cause, my calling. And even as an example, if you say, okay, I'm going to live in this way, and to the extent that I believe this is is serving our greater good, pray others can see an example of what it means to live with boundary as a compassionate, loving thing. Compassionate and loving toward ourselves, of course. If someone is relating to me in a way that does not feel healthful for me, exercising a boundary with them, I, I don't feel that as some sort of punishment for that other soul. I feel it as uh, a loving act for that other soul as well. So in that moment, grace does flood through me because I'm, I am experiencing this as, okay, I'm in this moment, I know what I need to do to care for this moment, not just myself, but this moment, which this other soul is a part of. So I am going to exercise a boundary with the prayer being that it will serve both of us, that it will benefit both of us. Of course, we can take boundary exercising by another person in relation to us as some sort of personal rejection. And we can take offense and we can feel, oh, you know, hurt. But in in the greater truth of relation, in the web of life, we say indigenously, you know, humankind is not woven the web of life. We are but a strand within the web. Therefore, what we do to the web, we do to ourselves. These are the words of our ancestor, Chief Seattle. What we do to the web, we do to ourselves. And so if I'm exercising boundary and with love in my heart and grace in my soul, it is a prayer actually to say, I am making my best choice in this moment to live this moment in such a way that it fertilizes and nourishes and protects myself and this other soul and our relation, you see. So it's the storytelling we do around a concept like grace and a concept like boundary that can get us into trouble and see for storytelling in a certain way, we'll say, Oral to the story is that you cannot be graceful or grace-filled and hold healthy long boundary. That's the moral of an untrue story. The story that I believe in, the story that I have witnessed and experienced in endless souls, is that it is loving for us to not wait for another person to recognize what is healthy for both of us in a given moment or in a given circumstance to wait for the other person to the light go on is wishfulness which is understandable but it is not always fruitful to you know hope that the other person is going to somehow figure out what i need and what is healthy for me and what therefore is healthy for them in relation to me yeah. And so it is an initiative taking, you know, you're saying to yourself, I'm going to choose to take an initiative to act on my behalf and therefore on the other person's behalf or people in general, because mm -hmm. boundary, you know, for me is something I exercise at all times, even when I'm not interacting with people. It's not a social thing for me at all. It's just me gardening my inner condition. What boundaries am I cultivating within myself? between myself and myself, the I and I. Yeah. The I and I, you know, in a, in a Rastafarian sense, the I and the I, there's a relationship. And I just want to always assure myself that my vessel is filled with grace because if it's not, then what we call boundaries becomes a... Um, insensitive and, and hurtful thing, a harmful thing. Grace is the water that makes the soil boundary soft so that seed can break through shell and become sprout and sprout can break through soil and reach for the sun and be sung to by the sky. So relationship, grace, water and soil, a boundary. 
So rich. Thank you so much. So many of our listeners on this journey home are trauma survivors and many uh, battle around this people-pleasing and self-erasure. And so thank you for giving a new story, a true, true story of that relationship and sacred honoring. I want to ask you about, on page 223, you have such a heart for children and are, you know, often and and always a blessing to them. But then at the end of uh, 223, you note, beyond our prideful adult identity is the truth that we are each in essential and sacred ways a child nature in need of understanding and a genuine loving embrace. For those who are choosing love or who have chosen love, can you talk about the gift of seeing the child in in others? Thank you. Oh my goodness. Your invitations today are um, are just wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And let me testify for, you know, all the souls who are so blessed by your work and your your ministry and who have experienced trauma. I will testify that I, too, have experienced, you know, very profound violation desecration, harm, violence of many textures, right? I've experienced these things. I have experienced a significant and providential serving of trauma. And so when I speak of grace and boundary, and I speak of choosing love. I too am coming from a place of profound acquaintance with healing and a healing journey. And one of the things that I have observed on this planet is that we often are very confused with regard to our own physical appearance and age and the physical appearance and age of others causes us to say, I am an adult, that person is an adult. And then we there we go from that categorization and label and language into a whole endless array of assumptions and ideas and schemas deeply ingrained in the brain schemas about what an adult is. And in certain cultures, including the mainstream culture of this uh, society, we are led to believe that an adult is a finished thing mm. that has its act together, that is imper- you know, impervious, um, insulated from vulnerability and fear and insecurity and needing and embrace, the truth is that I, I observe these adults, as we call them, carry within them, carry within us primordial, primitive, always existent child. And by child, I don't mean, of course, the body of a child necessarily. I mean the heart of a child the perspective of a child, the, the, the seeing of the world as a child, we have to remember, and I do this as a personal practice, we have to remember how small we felt as children and how looming and large the world seemed to us and how towering adults seemed to us. Well, as we walk around with each other as adults and engage with each other as adults, we still have that child vulnerability. We still have those fears, insecurities, uncertainties, a need for assurance and affirmation and validation. And so, you know, this is where this this message comes from for me about just 
you know, our need to recognize that this child nature in us is there. If we can practice seeing each other as adults with a child nature, I feel that it will elicit and liberate within us geysers of compassion and mercy. We will be more forgiving of one another, gentler and kinder to each other. We're so harsh. And I, I feel that largely that's because we have forgotten that um, we are not invincible robot, robots as adults at all. We're, we're always an unfinished thing. We are always tender. We're always sensitive. We're always needing a hug, an embrace. We need lullabies. We need to be sung to. We need to be softly sent into sleep and dream. We need to be gently awakened into sunrise and day. And we need to be nourished socially by one another and by ourselves as we move through our days, regardless of how well things are going. We need to be free. And so the child nature in us needs better PR campaign, if you will. We need to promote that we have a child nature, not an immaturity, mm-hmm. but divine sensitivity and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And let this be our starting place when we consider each other, engage with each other, reflect upon each other, mm-hmm. and react and respond to each other. And, and let it be our the root of our relationship with ourselves as well. Our child nature is a beautiful thing. We could be blessed to live to 160 years and we still will have a child nature in us. We still need to be loved on. This is our design. And so for me, healing in the world, whether it be healing from trauma, and by the way, I I feel to exist in this world is trauma. So as beautiful as we can say this life is and the world is, there's nothing wrong with saying that it also is an experience that harms us. We are these ender planets being bombarded by all these asteroids, you know, circumstance. So there is not a soul. I do not believe there is a soul that does not need healing, that does not need holding, that does not need a seeing of their child nature. Mm. Thank you so much. And I love that conceptualizing not an immaturity, but a divine sensitivity and vulnerability. Uh, I think that's so important. I know in mindfulness, uh, one of the principles is beginner's mind. So having that openness and curiosity. And then in scripture, the idea that unless you come as a child, you cannot enter in. Right. And so embracing that for ourselves and for each other, which uh, puts me in the mind of uh, page 13. This is really amazing. You say. The living poems we were sent here to be the best verses still wait inside you. You came with a mission, be me. The living poems we were sent here to be. So I know one of your theme songs in the past has been, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. And I love that idea of being a sanctuary. But tell us about what it means to be a living poem. Oh, I love this. Thank you. What does it mean to be a living poem? Well, I can answer that so many ways. I, you know, a poem for me is a wild thing. It is free. Mm. It is unbridled and unbound and shackled and uncaged. It is liberated. It has learned a love language for itself that it wishes to sing to the world. So a poem is a tree that loses its leaves in autumn. It's a poem that, it's a tree that uh, births new leaves in spring. A poem is a dandelion seed on the wind. A poem is a freshly painted fence. A poem is the way sun frosts the earth in the morning. A poem is a mood, a thought, kindness. Um, we see, you know, a pattern in in poemfulness, and the pattern is that 
a poem is a thing that is so vitally alive that it is fluent and fluid. It is um, it is not stagnant. It is not calcified. It is not petrified. So each of us as souls are living poems. We pray that is true because a human being can die while living. And say it again. Poem, right? <laughs> a, human, a human being can die at any point along the way and then continue to appear to be alive wow. and show up to work and parent children and um, get on the internet and spew harm. A, a human being can appear to be alive, but in fact have died long ago. My goodness. And so, so for me, the prayer is that ideally we are living poems. You know, ideally we keep love language alive. We are fertile and flowering. We are dormant, gestating. We are birthing and dying in, in a beautiful way, in a divine way, dying into birth. There's a dying into birth, and then there's a, just a dying into um into stagnation. Yeah, man, just just a condition that itself is a harmful presence. Mm. Um, mm. The thing that is supposed to be alive but is not alive, that is that's a harmful presence. And so a living poem, meaning that. You know, in many cultures, the word for poem and the word for song is the same word because a poem should sing. A poem should sing in us. And even if it's a painful poem, a penetrating, piercing poem, or a passionate, uh, paradise poetry, it should sing, it should dance, it should do something. It should flutter like a butterfly. It should sting like a bee. It should, it should float. It should be vital. It should have, um, it should have, action in it the the action of um of spiritual aliveness so you know for me i'm i'm very sincere when i say you know we are living poems and we need to be fully in our poetry that's how we bless each other and ourselves is by being in this condition and then being free to share this condition with one another so I'm I'm saying this from a past in which I was almost entirely mute and wasn't sharing my poetry. And so sharing our poetry means to be willing to cry with others, be willing to laugh with others, dance, move your body with others, heal with others, receive others when they when they have something to pour into us. It's especially love, being able to pour into them. So we've got to open up. We have to find a reason to open up and be poetry. Because otherwise, in the absence of poetry, it's not even prose. It's just uh, soulful dying. It's just, you know, infertility. It's um, it's just a lack of of liveliness. Yeah. 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 Thank yeah. you so much. And along these lines of rebirthing, and I love how one thing feeds into the next. <laughs> So around rebirthing on page 123, let's see if I wrote, you say ceremony, your rebirth daily, ceremony, your rebirth daily. So I would like to ask you, what are you currently rebirthing either into yourself or what are you birthing through you? Oh, thank you. Thank you. This is beautiful. This is another piece that I, that I have been very close to, um, sharing online lately. So yeah, we're in the same river again. Ceremony your rebirth daily. The last 10 to 12 years, one thing I clearly have been rebirthing is just my vitality, my health, you know, um, in a physical sense. I'm just bringing uh, energy and life force back into my body because I poured so much out for so long. And so that's one of these things that I'm you know, when we talk about grace and boundaries, I'm I'm holding uh, myself uh, through love's discipline to giving myself what I need each day in order to revitalize my energy and my health so that I can continue to bloom and bear fruit because I desire to be as fruitful as I can while I'm here. And, and so well-being in a physical sense, uh, which of course can never be untethered from 
our holistic well-being. That's I'm rebirthing nearly, rebirthing some of the early um, wonderment, childhood, rebirthing wonderment in my heart, and in and I have that nature anyways. Everything makes me wonder. You know, I, I'm in awe of life. And yet I want to deepen that. I want to let that spread and grow, let that pond become a, a lake and that lake become an ocean of wonderment and awe. And um, just, again, beholding the miracles. The Always stories are, are gestating in my womb. And so I'm always excited to birth, story to birth, the written word, the spoken word, the theatrical word. The musical word. I'm rebirthing my my relationship with music, with piano, with song. Um, rebirthing that, and that's that's been exciting and and thrilling. Rebirthing my own clarity as to my calling. What does it mean for me in this season now and going forward to serve, to be of purpose, uh, to be of medicine? What does that look like for me? And I feel that we always have this invitation from creation, from creator, from life itself, to just sit with why we're here and um, what it's what it's supposed to be feeling like and looking like each day. So there's never any graduation stage that should cause us to say, I am done considering what my life should be and my servitude should be. Cap and gown can cause us to drown if we misinterpret the meaning of that ceremony. So ceremony is not always a thing that helps us. If we're not examining the ceremony with our spiritual discernment, we can be confused about what the ceremony means. When we don cap and gown and cross a graduation stage, or receive a certificate, or uh, get a new degree or promotion at work, or we choose to go through a therapeutic process for healing, we should never feel that we have achieved something that then means we no longer have to gaze into our purpose and our path. Always there is abundance and bounty blooming before us. That is ours to harvest. That is ours to pick up and carry and then to plant. And so it changes in every moment, not just every day, but every moment. You know, for me, it's it's just paying attention. This is why it is helpful to be slow and still and present. And I don't necessarily mean slow and still physically. You can be dancing up a storm and have the most amazing stillness inside. You know this. You can feel like this, this divine tree of life while you're dancing. The stillness allows you to see so clearly what the moment is. And when you see clearly what a true spiritual moment is, you see that everything is blossoming and flowering. So. Everything is always changing, and therefore you are always changing, and therefore your, your servitude can always look different. So for me, I'm rebirthing uh, my clarity of vision for what my life is to be on this moment, the next moment, and forward. Mm-hmm. Always birthing, always birthing, always birthing. I love that condition of birthing because it's a condition of dilation. New life to come through, we must be dilated. So, you know, what is hard in us must soften. This happens in a woman's body. It happens in our life creatively and in terms of our relations. So uh, let us make more of a ceremony of once more of, of birthing condition. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, you really embody what you teach and a part of your teaching is for the art to come through. We have to release the performance. And so I want to appreciate you for the authentic sharing with us on today. And before I make my final request, I just want to encourage people to go to your website, jayajohn.com, J-A-I-Y-A, john.com. There are specials that are happening for uh, 
if you receive the books, also for the audio. And I am so excited that you have uh, revived this year the gatherings. So there are virtual sacred gatherings that uh, Jaya hosts, and it is a beautiful time with people from all over the world, music and word and reflection and connection. So I want to uh, encourage everyone to get the full collection. It's a wonderful, I give Jaya's books as gifts for people who I know are in a state of readiness, of wanting to heal and grow. And so get them for yourselves and for each other. And I want to ask Jaya to bless us. In my tradition, we would say benediction. On page 209, if you can read that for us, we will receive it joyfully and gratefully. Thank you. 209, you deserve sacredness. Today, this day, I pray that if you have not felt the holiness of your tender life, that one day you will. And you then will know the truth that when you were born, something divine and beautiful came into the world. Still, it is so. It is so, it is so, it is so. Thank you so much, Jaya. Thank you, Tama. I, I am just so deeply grateful for this gift. Thank you, thank you. I thank invite you. your soul to tell your heart, mind, body, and spirit, welcome home. to fight.